Hey, what's going on, everyone? How you guys doing today? My name is Matt Jarbo. Welcome to Milk Carton Mysteries. Today is episode number 20. We're officially 20 episodes in. It's also the 22nd of July, 2020. I would like to apologize uh, for not having a show yesterday. The reason why that didn't happen was because I had a bunch of other things I had to take care of. It ended up taking all of my day. And I thought to myself, you know what might be fun? Putting this out in the morning rather than the end of the afternoon so i'm gonna try and see if i can keep to that schedule feel free to hold me to it because i'm probably gonna screw up every once in a while but that's okay so today on the show there is quite a bit to cover uh, there's a lot to cover today so what we have is uh, an, uh, not an update but just movement in the alonzo brooks case a story made popular by the recent new season of unsolved mysteries three boys well young men brutally massacred in Florida this last weekend has a lot of America talking about what went on. And of course, the story of a father who shot and killed the boy who he believed had raped his daughter. Although things aren't necessarily what they seem on that one. So there's a lot going on and a couple updates here, uh, stuff to talk about. So let's let's just dive right in because it's, it's a really really big episode. So last week I talked about a Quebec man who was on the run uh, after his the car crash had killed his two daughters. At least that's what we were potentially hypothesizing or theorizing or speculating on. But Martin Carpentier out of Quebec was hunted by the authorities, presumed dead, but still out there. And it turns out they've actually found his body uh, a tip they received led authorities to a wooded area where they uncovered the body of what they believed to be, who they believed to be, Martin Carpentier, and he is in fact deceased, most likely at his own hands. We don't have confirmation of that yet. I'm sure more information is going to come out as time goes on. Uh, this, of course, is uh, what I think a lot of people thought the outcome was going to be of this particular story. I, I think a lot of people realized that after his two daughters were found dead and he was missing, that he probably was going to go down this path. I, I had hoped, I'm not going to lie, I had hoped he was off somewhere, that they would catch him, that we could get some kind of confirmation, and that their mom could get some kind of closure with having that information. And look, you may not agree with me on that front, and that's okay, but I'd rather know than not know. Because not knowing, man, that's the worst. And, I, and this is one of those cases where they probably won't know everything. And I hope that the lack of knowledge doesn't linger too heavily as the mom goes through the recuperation process. Although, let's be fair, when you've lost your ex-husband and your two children, I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. And so... Every ounce of my soul and my heart and my being go out to this mother. I played a clip of her from last week. It was it was gut wrenching stuff, uh, heartbreaking stuff. I I don't speak French, but you could feel the emotion. And I have two young daughters myself, so I, I, as a parent, I could relate. And so I, I wish nothing but the best for her. I w I wish nothing but that. And uh, this is a a mystery that has now been solved. A mystery that now has closure. 
And it turns out that's not the only case that has closure to it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the two sisters, Nassim and Juju Arab, who were both shot and killed in an apartment in Houston, Texas. Uh, the man who was assumed to have committed this crime was uh, Arian Hojit, otherwise known as Ari, an attorney and Nassim's ex-boyfriend. He was the one who created a Instagram page to showcase their relationship from the positive. And as I said at the time, he was trying to then control the narrative. Well, what we were reading on Facebook, what we were seeing coming out of, of friends who knew Nassim and Juju, they were saying that Ari had been located uh, around San Antonio and he had taken his own life. It turns out that this is actually the case. And somehow, I didn't become aware of it until today. So the suspect who was wanted in the fatal shooting of two Houston women was found dead. Arian Hojit, 34, was wanted in connection with the deaths of two young women found murdered in an apartment near the Greenway Plaza area. He took his own life. The last act of this guy, really, was to create a new Instagram account as a way to showcase his love for a woman who he killed and her, her sister who he killed. And then he went and killed himself. And, you know, I just, I have to say, I, I talked about that as I do talk about these things and I speculate on these cases and I talk about these cases. And, and I guess some of the family of the girls or friends of the girls had come across my commentary. They were not very happy. They wanted me to take it down. And I'm not taking it down because this happened and it's news. But I don't want them to think or you to think, as I've been accused of in other clips, that I'm a heartless monster or something, that I'm talking about this with glee or enjoyment. I'm not. I'm fascinated by what humans do to one another. I'm fascinated by the psychological motivations of why we do what we do to each other. And my whole goal with this podcast is to do better in understanding and, and, and to try and understand better. That's really what it is. So if I speak on that and you interpret it that way, that is not my intent. I just had to put that out there because of some of the criticisms that I had heard, especially surrounding this case and the uh, Dutch torture room case I covered a couple of weeks ago. So it is what it is. But look, at the end of the day, Ari here took two beautiful souls from this planet and then took his own life in an act of absolute, utter, pure cowardice. I feel no sympathy for this man. I feel nothing but sympathy for the girls, their family, and their friends. And I hope that they are able to get past this that they are able to heal. But who knows? I don't know. But it's what I hope. And I hope you guys feel the exact same way, and I'm sure a lot of you do. So let's talk about the first story today. This is a wild one, coming out of Las Vegas, where a suspect has been arrested for thrill-killing a homeless man. Uh, this happened last week, according to Metro Police. Noah Green, 21 years old, shot and killed a sleeping homeless man, and then two days later, targeted a man as he walked his dog, 
seriously wounding him, but the man is expected to survive. Now, here's where it gets messed up. Here's where it gets crazy. Here's where it is frightening. So this 21-year-old guy, this idiot, because he's an idiot, he's a monster as well. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to explain it away. Idiot's not the right word. The guy's a monster. He pulled out his phone and he recorded both of these random and unprovoked shootings so he could watch them again. This sicko wanted to relive the experience of killing a homeless guy as he slept and shooting another man, I believe, in the chest. Now, Lieutenant Ray Spencer of Las Vegas Police says, I've been a police officer for 22 years. I lead the homicide section, and these videos are absolutely disturbing. I'm sure they are. I haven't seen them. They haven't made their way online yet. I'm very happy about that. Now, the homeless man, I believe, was, was shot on the 13th of July and was spotted by a jogger at about 5.15 in the morning. The, uh, the coroner's office identified that man as Brent Michael Lloyd, 48, who died from a gunshot wound to the head. So this guy was asleep, minding his own business, and Noah Green here walked up and executed him while recording him. And it, that wasn't the only camera that caught the incident. That's the thing to remember here. The shooting was actually captured on grainy surveillance footage, and detectives were actually able to quickly establish that the shooting was unprovoked. They began to canvas the neighborhood, and they found the video of a po another video of a possible suspect walking through a nearby apartment complex who took off the hoodie. Therefore, they were able to see his face. Then, late Wednesday, so just again, a couple days later, a man was walking his dog about 400 feet away from where Brian or Brent Michael Lloyd was shot. So, and, and this guy walking his dog was shot. Uh, Noah showed up and shot him once in the chest. Now, what we can take from that, what we can ascertain from that is if it was so close to where the first kill was, it was significant. Psychologically speaking, it was significant to Noah. And he was creating a hunting ground. I think had he not been caught, I think at this point, he would have more victims. He would escalate until he was stopped because the thrill would be there. The thrill would be compelling. He was creating an area where he could commit this, these crimes. And thank God for security footage. Now, investigators were able to figure out that both the shootings uh, and, and everything else happened around where Noah lived. He lived in a nearby apartment complex. So they put him under surveillance. Then on Friday, they moved in to question him after he was spotted jaywalking. So they waited for him to break a, a law, even though misdemeanors are kind of whatever, but jaywalking is jaywalking. And he took off running. Now, when the officers ended up catching up with him, they found the gun, which was inside a paper bag. He was then booked on uh, counts of possession of a gun by a prohibited person and jaywalking. So they, got, they arrested him for jaywalking, which in the context of what we now know, good, they got him. 
I still find it interesting that they got him on jaywalking. Now, the detectives then established probable cause for the slayings and the attempted killing. Uh, and court records actually showed this. Detectives then obtained a warrant to search his phone where they found the recordings of the shootings. And uh, right now he's being held uh, at the Clark County Detention Center on one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. And that's where he'll be for a while until he appears in front of a judge. But apparently he's got absolutely, uh, he, he's not new to the police. Back in 2018, they arrested him when he was 19 of misdemeanor assault and felony assault with a deadly weapon. So this guy's been around for a little bit. He has uh, been around for a while. And uh, you know what? He's off the streets, and I think he'll be off the streets for quite some time. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if life in prison is what gets offered to him. I wouldn't be surprised if the death penalty is what gets offered to him. He had no reason to kill these men or to kill that one man and try to kill the other. This is completely a thrill kill. And he was creating, like I said, a hunting ground where he could be the predator. He could be the apex predator, the alpha who could control who lived and who died. But he also was a moron. And I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of criminals are morons who do moronic things who get caught being morons. So that's good. At least he can't hurt anyone else for the thrill of it anymore. So I want to talk about this case uh, that came out of, um, of Indiana. And this is a sad, tragic story here where a man has been charged with the murder of his son's friend. Now, in Dillsboro, Indiana, a man has been charged with the murder uh, for shooting an 18-year-old dead this last Sunday. Now, the, uh, the man is named uh, William Baker. And his son, Tyler, was throwing a graduation party. And at the graduation party was 18-year-old Payson Critlow. And his name is Payson. And they had just graduated high school on the uh, 17th. So this was a day after graduation. They're at this party. And when the deputies were called to the scene, they found Critlow already dead, lying on the driveway. They saw a large open wound on his neck from a gunshot. So he was shot basically point blank in the neck with a shotgun. And bled out while his friends watched. So the Dearborn County Sheriff's Department detective, Barry Bridges, says that William Baker's brother-in-law said he had been at the party once it got dark and he heard a boom. He said it felt like some debris had struck him and then he saw a boy, a, like the boy laying on the ground. And then another witness pulled the victim closer to the house, which probably didn't help, to be honest with you. The detective also says that the brother-in-law observed his sister, who was Baker's wife, to be screaming and holding Baker while Baker made remarks like, this is the boy who just raped your niece. Let me go. 
Now, what I can't figure out about this, and again, some of the articles covering the story move the timeline around a little bit. But what we know here is that there was an accusation of sexual assault made. So Baker told the police that his 17-year-old daughter told him she had been raped and then pointed to Payson, uh, indicating that he's the one who did it. And eyewitnesses at the party have said that Baker was intoxicated. Some have said that he was talking to himself and making mutterings about demons. I've read that from a couple different people who were at the party, their recollection of what happened. So they don't know if this is what was said. They don't know if the daughter actually made a claim or if he just thought she said it, went from zero to 60, grabbed the gun and shot the boy. Now, the detective says that he went on, this is from Baker, went on to tell police that he walked into the front door of his house and proceeded downstairs to the gun cabinet where he retrieved his rifle. He then walked outside, aimed, located Payson, and then shot him. So I don't know if it's point blank. It feels like, I mean, a rifle shot that big of a hole could be point blank. I could be wrong. But it's possible that he, he stormed down in a fit of rage, grabbed the gun, walked back upstairs, located, identified Payson. And then from there, shot him. I mean, just aimed down the sights of a hunting rifle and took this boy out. Now, since then, people have been giving a massive outpouring of support. And they've been, you know, there's been memorials and, and, and people are talking about it. Payson's girlfriend is, is distraught. She's heartbroken. Her Facebook is just littered with, with all sorts of things about the two of them. And it's, it's terrible. It's tragic. Here's the even more tragic part. Authorities interviewed the 17-year-old daughter who says that she actually did not tell her father that she had been sexually assaulted. And she was unaware of any other person present at the party who made any such statements. So somehow William Baker came to the conclusion that his daughter had been raped and this was a boy who did it. So without even getting any information, conducting any kind of interview, any kind of interrogation, he killed him. It's just something about this isn't quite adding up yet to me. However, the town of Dillsboro is very small, only 1,400 people. And so as a result of that, they are trying to raise money for Payson's funeral expenses. Uh, at the time of uh, this screenshot and this recording, they only have uh, $4,165 out of $10,000. But this is what um, they said. Payson Critlow was tragically taken from us late Saturday night into Sunday morning just several hours after receiving his high school diploma. He had so many people whose lives had he had touched during the amount of time he had in his life. We've seen the support and love that we had for, all, for him on the next evening when so many of us joined together at South Dearborn High School parking lot 
to be together for each other. I've seen so many tears and yet so many laughs and stories that everyone had with Payson. With that being said, we would all love for Payson to have the best funeral that he deserves. But during these tough times of the pandemic, his family has no life insurance for him being laid off for several months. Let's all get together again and help Payson's family to give him the funeral so we can all pay our respects and see him one last time. And that is really sad that during the pandemic, during the situation at a graduation party, Payson was taken. And looking into Billy Baker a bit, William Baker a little bit, uh, you, you can almost kind of get an idea for maybe what kind of dad he was. And I say that based upon this image that was found from his Facebook page. Where back in 2013, he reposted a meme of a t-shirt that says, I have a beautiful daughter. I also have a gun, a shovel, and an alibi. It's an old meme. It's, it's one that, you know, dads say to act tough. It's a jokey sort of thing. But given this context, it feels like seven years ago when he posted this. That maybe there's some truth to it. Now, I don't want to besmirch Payson's good name. I don't know him. What I've read has been that he's a nice guy that did nice things and didn't deserve the situation. And I, I, I fully believe that. But I have a theory. And I want to talk about it because, like I said, something isn't really adding up here. I don't see why this guy would go from zero to 60 and go all out and kill this guy without there being a reason. Now, that could be a couple different things. The daughter has said that no sexual assault took place, no rape took place, not by her, not to her or anyone else at the party. Now that could mean that that's true, that no assault took place. That could mean that an assault did take place and that she is now recanting that statement because she doesn't want to be ostracized by the community. Like I said, this town has 1400 people in it. It is a tiny tight knit town. This kind of controversy, this tragedy is going to very much destroy this 17-year-old girl's life in this town. As well as the life of Payson's family, his friends, his girlfriend. Obviously, this ripple effect is going to be felt on, on, a, on, a, on, a, main, on a massive magnitude. Given the size of this town and most likely how everyone knows each other. So that's one theory. That it happened, she's recanting it because she doesn't want to be ostracized. But there's another theory. And one that I think at this point may be more apt. And I'm looking at this from an Occam's Razor perspective. And also based upon some investigative work on social media. So again, this is a grain of salt speculation. I want to make that abundantly clear. So here we go. Payson has a girlfriend, according to her. Her Facebook page is full of pictures of the two of them, full of pictures of the memorial, full of claims of, I love you, and I'm going to give you the best funeral, 
and all of the normal signs of, of, of dealing with this kind of grief, this kind of tragedy. But Payson's Facebook page doesn't have any of that. I mean, obviously, but he doesn't have anything with the girl. And he's listed as being single. Now, that could just be a coincidence. It could just be how he rolls. I don't know. But two weeks ago, there was a comment made uh, by him to her page where she was like, I'm so thankful for my boyfriend. And then he came back and said, no, I'm the lucky one. So my question then becomes, if his Facebook page says single and there's no photos of his girlfriend, at least when I saw it, could it be that they were on a break? Could it be that they broke up before the end of the school year? Could it be at this time they were broken up? Payson and William Baker's son, uh, Tyler, I believe, were friends. They knew each other from school. They, this again, 1,400 people in this town, very tight-knit town. Is it possible that the daughter made a pass at Payson knowing that he is single? or recently single, or maybe she was under the impression. So she made a pass. He denied her. He turned her down. Because maybe he's not interested. Maybe he's reconciling with his ex. Maybe he doesn't want to have a relationship with his friend's younger sister. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons. And from there, she, angry, upset, tells her father she was assaulted, thinking perhaps her father would just throw this kid out, maybe punch him, maybe knock him down, but rough him up a little bit. But she didn't expect her father to pull out a gun and kill him. Now, I'm sure that theory will be met with an, with, with, with an insane amount of pushback. And I'm not against that. It's a theory. It's a speculation. Reading what I've read, looking at what I've looked at, it doesn't seem like it's entirely out of the question. And that's something that I think is really worth looking into. So at this point, we're going to have to wait and see where the cards may fall. If you want to get in on this conversation, by all means, please let me know in the comment section or head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton to add your thoughts to this conversation. Over the course of this past week, and a story broke out of Polk County in Florida that has been taking over a lot of the conversation. I was going to cover it yesterday on the program, but unfortunately, uh, other things came up. So I wasn't able to get to it. And I wanted to wait for more information to come to light. And I feel, I feel like it kind of has. Because what we're looking at here are three close friends that were murdered during a fishing, a fishing trip in Frostproof, Florida. Now, right, this, this again, this is a crazy story. And it not a lot makes a lot of sense. So the Polk County Sheriff's Office is investigating the triple murder in an unincorporated area of Frostproof. According to the sheriff, it's like a small, tight-knit community, uh, but it does become a bit of a party ground on the weekends. So what they're saying here is that at around 10.06 p.m. on Friday, this is last Friday, one victim, uh, Brandon uh, Rollins, who is 27 years old, called his father for help. Now, officials are saying here that his dad knew Brandon had gone fishing with his two friends, uh, Kevin Springfield and Damian Tillman, 
But what he heard, all he could make out was the word help. So he got in his car immediately and sped off towards the, the, the last known location of his son, which is exactly where he found him. But when he got there, he found a massacre. He found his son's truck shot up, his friend's truck shot up. The two friends are dead and his son is barely alive. Here's the problem. He didn't have a cell phone on him. In his hurry to rush out of his home when his son called for help, in that mad dash to get to his baby boy, he left his cell phone at home. And the sad thing is a lot of people have been harping on that. Social media can be great and it can be terrible. And in this moment in time, a lot of the speculation, a lot of the chatter is attacking the father for not having his cell phone. Because what the dad had to do is he had to leave to go call 911. Now, according to the sheriff, it appears that Brandon had told his father other things. I'm assuming in relation to what happened. They're not releasing that information with good reason. But the dad drove to a nearby gas station where he was friends with the owners and they knew him in order so he could call 911. From there, the 17-year-old daughter of the gas station owner accompanied the father back to the scene of the crime with her cell phone in order to help get the police there. Tragically, in the moments he was gone, Brandon succumbed to his wounds and he died. And that to me is tragic. That to me is God awful. Your son calls you for help. You race out in the middle of the night to go and save him. You forget your cell phone. He's, he's dying from being beaten and shot. And you have to leave his side to go get help. And in the time you're gone, so is he. The dad apparently had a medical issue in the days following this, but he's okay now from what I read. I don't blame the father for anything. These things happen. Uh, again, like everything else, my my heart and soul goes out to the family. How, whatever that's worth, thoughts and prayers, whatever it's worth. Because it's one of the most tragic things I think you could ever do. You could ever experience. And that to me is one of the reasons why the story is 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 blowing up the way that it is, is because it's so tragic. Not to say that Damon and, and Kevin don't have their own stories and don't have their own families that are worried, but this is what happened in regards to finding out the information of what came to this. Now, when the first responders got to the scene, all three victims were dead. All three victims appeared to have been beaten and shot. Sheriff Grady Judd said, this is a horrific scene. I've been to a lot of murder scenes in my life, and this ranks among the worst I had been to. Now, he put out, the sheriff put out a 24-minute press conference where he 
offered up some, some speculation where he talked about the what he could talk about, not too much. But he talked about the community itself and how tight-knit it was and everything. So I think in that, you know, he was trying to paint a picture of what you could expect by going out there and and maybe give an idea as to what transpired. I think in regards to it being a safe place, but this is something that clearly went wrong. Something went wrong. Now, when it comes to the boys, young men, I don't call them boys because, you know, they're only a few years younger than me. These men were best friends and knew each other for years. Uh, these these guys fished together. They did a lot of stuff together. And in this particular case, they were going to be fishing on land and not in a boat. And they never made it that far. In fact, the way that the vehicles were positioned, according to the sheriff, they were like kind of like driver's side door to driver's side door to where they could have a conversation with one another from inside the vehicle, probably while figuring out where to go, where to set up to go fish or something like that. And something, someone interrupted them while they were like that. And that becomes, that becomes the million dollar question. Or in this particular case, the $30,000 question, because uh, there's now a $30,000 tax free reward, not even for the conviction. But for information leading to an arrest, $30,000 tax-free. The sheriff made absolutely abundantly clear that it was tax-free, that it's free money if somebody comes in and says something. Like, he was very candid about it, and I, I found the candor to be refreshing. But it was, it was, I really recommend you listen to the whole thing. It's really interesting. But they're putting $30,000 on the line, and I'm sure that number will increase in order to very much entice somebody to flip on someone that they know. Because somebody out in this town, in this county, knows something, obviously. And now $30,000 is on the line for free if you narc out who did it. I don't think it's going to take long for someone to narc. If I'm being perfectly honest with you. But the question then becomes, why? Why did this happen? Well, we don't know. But apparently somebody, someone's claiming to know. And that's where the story takes a bit of a weird turn. So according to a website called Your Content, uh, they have a headline here. Uh, the FBI joint search in Florida for potential serial killer behind massacre of three men or fishermen found dead. Now, the serial killer line is clearly designed to invoke certain emotions. Fear of a killer. A prowler on the loose. Cutting people down like the Golden State Killer or Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy or, you know, countless other. But the serial aspect of it is generally you know, three or more. So if in one go, he killed three people, that could be classified as a serial killer. And this is essentially what the article is saying. 
and, and I'm reading this almost verbatim, saying it's evident that a fight ensued when the youngest victim, uh, Damon, arrived at the isolated lake. This is according to a source that is close to the investigation that talked to the reporter for your content under the condition of anonymity. This evidence located at the scene and the information obtained will enable us to act swiftly and certainly towards bringing justice for these three families. That, that's the direct quote from the anonymous source, which would tell me that it's someone in law enforcement given the type of sentence that he used, the wording that he used, but still kind of odd. He goes on to say that according to the well-placed source, a woman was caught having an extramarital affair with one of her victim or with one of the victims and her husband snapped. Now that's a bold claim because who could it be? Who could it potentially be? Well, the article goes on to say that one of the victims was sleeping with a married woman and the husband of that woman and his associates might've had it out for the individual noting that one of the victims killed at the lake was also beaten by the woman's husband into question not too long ago. Finally, here it says the other two victims might have witnessed the murder by mistake, wrong place, wrong time. So that is what this Your Content article is saying. And it comes across tabloidy. It comes across trashy. It, it comes across all of these things. So then you look in to who's writing it. Well, this guy named Jonathan Riches went on Facebook and he posted this saying, today I visited the crime scene in Frostproof, Florida, Polk County, where three men were massacred Friday night on a rural road while out fishing. The killer or killers are still at large and not identified at this time. The three murder victims are Damon Tillman, Kevin Springfield, and Brandon Rollins. The sheriff is offering up a $5,000 reward for anyone who has information that leads to the arrest of the murderers in this case. Then he says, I spoke with family members of the victims today and will be airing what they had to say on your content. Stay tuned, seeking justice for the victims. Well, looking into who Jonathan Riches is, this is where it gets wild. This guy is in the Guinness Book of World, Wec of World Records as the most litigious man in the world. So he is known for suing the most people in the world. And when that happened, he then sued Guinness Book to have his name removed from the book. And since 2006, Jonathan Lee Riches has filed more than 2,600 lawsuits in various U.S. district courts. He's gone after George Bush, Steve Jobs, Martha Stewart, and Britney Spears. And then there's weird lawsuits like Adolf Hitler's National Socialist Party, the Nordic gods, Plato, Nostradamus, Che Guevara, the Lincoln Memorial, the Eiffel Tower, the 13 tribes of Israel. The list goes on and on and on. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if his content is legitimate or not, but he claims it. So it is what it is. You take it with a grain of salt. But here's what I think about this. I think these guys went out to a place on a Friday night that was known, well known, to have people drinking, 
and partying and doing drugs. And it's possible that they came across something they shouldn't have come across. Someone opened fire on the vehicles, beat them, and killed them. But they left Brandon alive. Or he at least played dead. We don't know any of those details because they haven't released that information. And that's fine. But still, these guys are dead. So it begs the question how it happened. Why it happened. And it seems that the sheriff is leading towards some kind of deal gone bad. Whether it's drugs or anything else. Because he has said that the community isn't in danger. There's no mass killer walking around. This is an isolated incident and one that should remain isolated. But still, $30,000 is on the table. That's a lot of money. Tax-free. If somebody knows something, please say something. Give justice to these families and bring this person or persons to, to, to justice. And of course, I want to hear your thoughts and your opinions over on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk card. So finally, there's been some interesting information that has come up now uh, as a result of unsolved mysteries and the case of don't ride home or no ride home. Because Alonzo Brooks's body has now been exhumed following the unsolved mysteries case uh, on the 16 year old cold case. So what we know about it today is that Cruz dug up the grave of Alonzo Brooks uh, from a Topeka graveyard on Tuesday morning. The FBI recently reopened this 16-year cold case and listed it as a hate crime. The family says that tips have come in since the recent Netflix documentary. And that's crazy. I mean, those six episodes have brought in a lot of attention. So Xavier DuPont, if you are still alive, I think your days are numbered. But in the case of Alonzo Brooks, if you don't know the story, this is basically what it was. Back in 2004, when Brooks was 23, he went to a party in Lacinaga, or Lacine, uh, in Kansas, which is a small town of just 1,100 people. And as I mentioned in the, the story about the guy who killed the boy who says, who, you know, the daughter said that he was raped, or she was raped by this guy. That town only had 400, 1,400 people. So, you know, in these small towns, it gets wild real quick. And they're very tight-knit. People know each other. They know each other's secrets. It's something to consider. Now, the thing is, they went to this party. He went there with a bunch of his friends. The friends all left. One of them went to go get cigarettes to, when he, he got lost. And when they... The next morning, they realized that Zoe was gone. They found articles of his clothing. They called the local authorities. The local authorities conducted a search, felt a little bit weird. They, the dive team came out to check a local river, didn't find anything. And then a little while later, a citizen search party by Zoe's family and friends were going to go back down there and conduct their own search. And within 30 minutes, they found his body next to the river. Within 30 minutes, they'd already walked this area before. The divers had been over there before. 30 minutes. 
So the theories are that Zoe was put into a meat locker for, I think, about a week or maybe longer. And then was left out when they knew people were coming back in order to give them the body. But the thing is, the medical examiner says, and he says this in the episode, that there's no way to know whether or not a human body has been put into a freezer if it's given time to thaw. I find that to be super weird. But okay, that's what he says. Fine. They found him in a creek weeks later. But at least they've labeled it as a hate crime. They've labeled it as what it needs to be. Now, you might disagree and say, we have no evidence for it being a hate crime. We also have no evidence to suggest that it isn't. The people who were at the party, they say that Zoe was the only black guy there. And other elements have said racism runs deep in that city. And Zoe, again, he might have hit on the wrong woman. He might have pissed off the wrong guy. He might have run his mouth the wrong way. But what I don't understand, and what even the documentary, what the episode didn't cover, was it's a town with 1,100 people. It's a town where there was a big party. And no one was talked to. They didn't, they didn't mention anything, really, outside of the three guys who had rented this farmhouse. And that they had lost the farmhouse, that they were moving out. That's it. Did the sheriff interview everyone who went to the party? Did, did anyone talk? I mean, someone knows something in that community. And I hope now, with the popularity of that episode, with the infamy of the episode, with now the FBI exhuming the body and the FBI taking this seriously, we're going to get, hopefully, to the bottom of this case. I'd like to think that somewhere... Robert Stack is sitting there in a trench coat in a dimly lit, foggy room, smiling. But the question then becomes, what do you think? Let me know at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk garden. All right, guys, that wraps up this episode. This is a long episode, I'll fully admit. A lot to cover, a lot to talk about, a lot to speculate on. Whew. I hope you guys liked it. Um, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, if you're listening to it on iTunes or you're listening to it on, um, on Spotify or on Google podcasts, please leave a review, leave a like, let me know on Twitter, come over to the Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton. If you have any stories you want me to check out, anything you want me to take a look at again, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton is the best place to do that. I will see you guys tomorrow for another episode. Have yourself a great day. Go binge watch Unsolved Mysteries again. And I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one and peace out.